Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. She is Amber Jamison, and you are watching AM to DM. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. Happy welcome back to AM to DM. I am thrilled to be here for a couple of days. I've been on a digital media journey. If I hear pivot to video again, I'm going to lose it. We've missed you terribly. Well, excited to be here with you. I'm thrilled. So we've been talking about millennial burnout on the show this week, perhaps relevant to you this week, Alex. BuzzFeed News <laughs> editor Tanya Chen reported on a new trend of broke millennials figuring out ways to hustle the system by convincing people to Venmo the money to comment petty things on social media. It started with Kiani Jury as a joke. She tweeted, Venmo me $20 and I'll comment ew on an enemy selfie. $10 to message your mans and see if he's cheating, $5 for some feet pics. But then people actually paid and other people have joined in with their own tweets. It's just such a genius idea and not just because she says mans, plural, that she'll check up on all of your mans to see if they're cheating. I love always checking up on all the mans. I like that millennials are creating our own kind of mini economy by now paying each other petty amounts of money, tiny amounts of money to comment on people's social media posts. That's it. It's like money we can afford to pay. It's only small amounts, $5, $20, but it's also a really good way just to make a little bit of cash. Make a little bit of cash. Do you think it speaks to how broke we are as a group of millennials? Yeah, both broke, Bitter, petty, obsessed with social media. <laughs> All the things. All it the kind things. of just hits everything. All the things. So what would you post? What would you agree to if someone Venmoed you? In 2019, uh, I want to disrupt the mean trolling on the internet. So for $5, I would be happy to comment a positive affirmation, oh. a cheesy inspirational quote. Yes. Hit me up. I'm here for you. What about you, Amber? I also am all about the posy vibes this year on social media because it can be so difficult. So I would be very welcome to, you know, encourage everyone's people around them. So like if your mom needs a bunch of likes or or nice friendly comments, if you're, you know, like a high school friend who started like a really weird side business that you think is terrible, but you want to like say, hey, great job, believe in you. So I would be, you know, kind of willing just to like give posy vibes to people around you that you don't have time or can't be bothered for. You'd post a, I believe in you yes. for $10 on Venmo. Exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, let's take it to the timeline. What would you comment on social media in exchange for money? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. So last night, President Trump gave an Oval Office address that pretty much repeated his standard talking points about immigration and the government shutdown. BuzzFeed News Editor-in-Chief Ben Smith tweeted, A lot of news organizations are poised to fact-check this speech and do it well. We're trying something else. Ben joins us now. Good morning, Ben. Morning. Thanks for having me on. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. So why not run a fact-check on Trump's speech? You know, it's really interesting. I mean, the fact-checking industry has grown and ballooned over the last several years. And, you know, obviously, in some ways, very valuable debunking false things on the Internet important thing that we all do. But it also does require that you essentially engage on the terms that are set by by whoever's speaking. It's, it's, it's fundamentally reactive. And I think that, you know, when you have a moment when Trump has decided to start this sort of to just take this 10 minute segment of everybody's life in the country to talk about immigration, I, I think our goal was to try to put out true facts about immigration rather than to live within the, uh, on the playing field that he had set. Is it so just rather than to check the facts, just to actually say true things. But is it weird that we just sort of didn't really cover the speech itself then? You know, the speech was really news free. He didn't say anything new. The drama around his negotiations with the networks was interesting. Um, you know, his also, you know, there's all sorts of interesting things to be said about it. There was no news in the speech and the politician just 
opening his mouth and saying stuff isn't news by definition. Yeah, you mentioned uh, true facts. What a concept these days to get true facts. Um, what are you hoping, or I should say, how are you hoping uh, the information that BuzzFeed put out last night connects with viewers and readers? I mean, I think what we are, the immediate reaction we saw was people were pleased to get, you know, big, clear stories about, about what is happening at the border, about, you know, about the, you know, the, the terror watch list, about these big subjects that people are talking about rather than kind of micro fact checks of, you know, at times things that are factual claims. At times you saw yesterday people fact checking, you know, essentially sort of arguments that, that are, and, and getting beat up on Twitter for that. Well, speaking of getting beat up on Twitter, the Associated Press got ratioed for this tweet. AP fact check, Democrats put the blame for the shutdown on Trump, but it takes two to tango. Trump's demand for $5.7 billion for his border wall is one reason for the budget impasse. The Democrats' refusal to approve the money is another. Why do people lose it over tweets like this? I mean, I think it's because fact-checking sets up this kind of pseudo-scientific sense of, like, we're stepping out of the normal world of journalism where, you know, I can just, you and I can speak the same language and I can tell you something and you can agree or disagree, and we're becoming some kind of fake scientist with a white coat who is telling you what is true and is false and you know, it is a scientific truth that it takes two to tango. It's preposterous. I mean, it's a perfectly valid point of view for a person to say, ah, this is the Democrats' fault, and you can argue with me about that. But the idea that that, that, that comes with this sort of a super official context of I am an official fact checker, I think reveals a little of the ridiculousness of the of this sort of practice of rating facts and putting Pinocchios next to them and just generally taking what's basically journalism. We're supposed to be delivering facts. It's what we do. And adding this layer of fake science. So you pointed out that we didn't learn any news from the speech itself and, and what Trump said. Did we learn anything from the whole event, whether that be the things that Trump wanted to focus on, the debate with the networks, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer's follow-up? Did we learn anything? Um, or was there anything newsworthy that came out of the whole thing? I mean, the decision by the Democrats to do the most conventional and traditional possible response to what was, in fact, a very conventional and traditional thing that Trump did, and I mean, was, I thought, pretty striking. I mean, when you look at what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing, what, in general, what the new Democratic politics is becoming, which is a much less formal, much more direct engagement on social media, it did feel a bit like a throwback. Well, Ben, uh, dare I say this feels a little like your own presidential address from your office. Thank you so much for joining us. This morning. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming back into the building, Alex. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, BuzzFeed News entertainment reporter Sylvia Obel tweeted, I love this song with a link to the story, R. Kelly under criminal investigation in Georgia thanks to surviving. Oof, and then NBC News tweeted, a Chicago prosecutor has asked any possible victims or witnesses of alleged abuse by, uh, by R. Kelly to contact her office. Asked about her reaction to the series, called, of course, Surviving R. Kelly, Cook County State's attorney Kim Fox said she was, quote, sickened. It's been less than a week since Lifetime aired the documentary series featuring survivors of the singer's alleged misconduct. David Mack wrote about the investigation and joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. So the Georgia District Attorney's Office reportedly reached out to the parents of Jocelyn Savage. Tell me who is she and what's happening with these investigations? Uh, Jocelyn Savage is one of the women whose uh, parents say that she's being held captive uh, by R. Kelly. 
uh, BuzzFeed News first broke this story a couple of years ago now, in 2017. Uh, they said that she's, she's an adult, obviously. They said that she's been brainwashed and that she's uh, being held by the singer in uh, his house there in Georgia and also in one of his recording studios in Chicago. Uh, after that story first came out in 2017, she, uh, Joycelyn appeared uh, in two interviews or two video clips that were released to TMZ in which she denied she was brainwashed and she uh, basically told her family to leave her alone, but her family weren't satisfied and said that it appeared that someone was in the background of the video controlling her. Uh, yesterday, I spoke to the family, uh, the lawyer uh, representing the family, and he confirmed to me that the Fulton County uh, DA, DA's office had reached out to him uh, for help in tracking down some people. So we do know that they are investigating. Uh, of course, the spokesperson for the DA's office there told me they have no comment. They don't comment on that stuff. But we also know that the Illinois, uh, in, in Illinois rather, the Cook County uh, prosecutor there, Kim Fox, state's attorney rather, Kim Fox, is, made a public appeal yesterday for uh, people to come forward with information. She told reporters that her office had received a ton of calls since the Lifetime documentary uh, aired and that they've been in touch with two families who are looking for their loved ones as well. Obviously, there's been a huge conversation and outpouring, uh, you know, as a result of this uh, documentary. Uh, how has R. Kelly responded to the documentary? Has he tried to discredit any of the uh, abusers? Uh, he hasn't, no, we've written a few, couple of stories uh, reaching out to him since this aired and we've received a no comment uh, each time. And it, but he has obviously in the past denied all like, allegations uh, against him. Uh, there's been some movement on behalf of his fans to try to discredit some of the women who appeared in this documentary. Uh, but no, he hasn't uh, spoken to the media since this came out. So what can R. Kelly be held legally accountable for? Are there any kind of restrictions that, that might limit that? Well, uh, I guess we're all going to wait and see what exactly specifically uh, the prosecutors are working out here. What are they looking into here? That what We can't really talk about statute of limitations until we know exactly what, uh, what charges they're investigating, uh, specifically about the women who may still be uh, with him. Uh, have other organizations or platforms uh, removed R. Kelly or, uh, you know, are they continuing to play his music and support him or allowed him to have accounts? On their platforms? Certainly it feels like we're seeing a bigger response now to this documentary than, uh, I mean, this story obviously has been around for years now. He's been accused for many years of inappropriate behavior. As I said, in 2017, BuzzFeed did our own reporting on this. Uh, and we reached out to a bunch of celebrities at the time uh, to hear from them if they regretted working with R. Kelly. We didn't hear back from any of them. But since this came out, obviously, John Legend appeared in the documentary and denounced him. Uh, Chance the Rap has also come out against him, plus a bunch of other artists. It feels like there's a movement uh, that's changing. Some radio stations, uh, we're, reaching, we're in the process of reaching out to radio stations around the country to find out what they're doing. Some are continuing to play him. Some are deciding whether or not to, to keep playing him. But it certainly feels like uh, the public consciousness uh, is changing thanks to this this documentary and the, the the stars that appeared in it and just the women who had the chance to tell their stories. Yeah, you kind of mentioned this public consciousness changing and obviously the sort of celebrities and so forth who are speaking out. As you mentioned, we've been reporting on this now for several years. What is it kind of about this documentary do you think that really connected with the public or with other celebrities? It's hard to answer. I think part of it is just the nature of TV, right? When you've got uh, an in-depth uh, pr uh, program over several nights and also having the opportunity for women to tell their stories uh, you know, to a camera and see them 
in person. There's something quite, um, you know, striking about that. And as I said, I think just once you start seeing some celebrities come out, uh, there's pressure on others to come out and do so as well. So you sort of get the ball, start rolling. Yeah, I mean, I love that you are pointing out that uh, really this is all to the credit of the survivors and to, you know, many of the black women who have come forward with their stories and are really centering this uh, about, uh, you know, creating a space for them to have their voices in the media. Um, what should we continue to keep an eye on, I guess, as these investigations develop and kind of as this media cascade around R. Kelly continues? I think uh, the key thing is going to be uh, just keep focusing on, as you said, the survivor themselves, letting we're going to keep finding out if they're in touch with the uh, the uh, investigators, both the prosecutors and the detectives working on this. Uh, we'll be continuing to track them for updates and ask what's going on. But I think now as well, we have to also let the authorities do their job here and try to work out if there is a case to be made against him. Uh, and I think that's just going to take time. It's going to be super interesting to see how this all pans out. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And later in the show, Lana Condor from To All The Boys. I've loved before. We'll be here. I'm Love so that excited. Movie. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Oh, God, i got to remember how to push the button. <gasps> <laughs> And it's time for fire tweets, but first of all, Alex, I want to read a very sweet tweet from Princess Leia, <laughs> who says, Alex, back in the building, has my heart warm. Oh, making me blush. Which, I am so excited to be here. Your fans are thrilled. I am so enthusiastic. I can barely contain it. It feels so good to see so many familiar faces here, and then also on the interwebs. Oh, heart's warm. Heart's warm all around. Okay, well, let's see if I remember how to actually do these fire tweets. I guess, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give it a try. Ready? I'm ready. Connor tweeted, my mom, you need to call and make that appointment yourself. Me. Actually, I'm okay. I really only need one good ankle. This one I felt a lot. I'm not going to lie. I avoid so many things if a phone call is involved. So, oof. It's true. And uh, I will say that even though there are things like ZocDoc, uh, I have been known to let appointments go and then have to wait for one of my parents to intervene, even as an adult human. I wish my parents lived in the country and could do that more easily. Okay. Ism tweeted, dogs lick us because they know we have bones inside and they want them. Ugh. Also disgusting because I react, I'm allergic to dog saliva. So I mean, the thought that, that they're not only trying to make me allergic and break out in hives and eat my bones. This, this tweet was poetic, but uh, I am good like not thinking about the dogs trying to get to my ah. bones by looking me, you know, like, let's just go to the next tweet. Okay. Yeah. Dave Izzle tweeted, the retirement age needs to be lowered to 25. I've had enough. I have had enough too. Mm -hmm. I would have been retired for six years now. Seven. Where's my seven years of pension? Damn, where is that pension? Mm. I'm claiming it now. <laughs> Baby G tweeted, contacts are so annoying. Glasses are annoying. Being blind is annoying. Now, I could only read that tweet thanks to my contacts. So I'm actually kind of also grateful for them, even though I get frustrated by how much they dry me out and they're aching and you forget to take them out. You don't know any of these things because you don't wear glasses or contacts. Indeed, I do not wear glasses. I have been known to wear a pair of fashion glasses no, on stop. days when um, stop. I don't have any makeup on. Um, should we do this tweet of the day? We do this together, yeah. right? You ready? ready? One, two, three. <laughs> tweet of the day comes from Emerald. I came, I saw, I left early. A lifestyle. 
a lifestyle of our 30s, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I was like, that's just my life in my 30s, but yeah. I really love making plans or going to parties and you go and you're like, I'm going to be out the door of this party by 9 p.m. By 9.30, I will be home. By 10 p.m., I will be sitting on my couch in my pajamas. By 10.30, maybe 11, I'll be in bed. I feel like I always want that to happen and then I like don't leave the house till 9 and I'm like, the whole plan is flawed. <laughs> but yes. You yeah. have to stay very motivated. <laughs> yeah. For everybody living this morning show life, I feel like it's really the only way that you can survive. True, true. So coming up, I sit down with Lana Condor and Benjamin Wadsworth from the show Deadly Class. But up next, we are going live from the district. So welcome back. We're now going live from the district with Congressman Mike Quigley of Illinois' 5th District. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining it, yeah. joining us. Thank you. So let's get right into it. Last sure. night you tweeted, mm -hmm. the only crisis here is the one the president himself created by shutting down our government. Absolutely despicable, but not surprising that he used a primetime platform to spread even more lies, a continuation of what we've seen for the past four years. Check the facts. So where are we now as we head into day 19 of the shutdown? Well, today I will manage a bill on the House floor to reopen one bill that governs the United States spending, uh, the Financial Services General Government. Uh, most significant in that is that it reopens the Treasury Department, including the IRS. Obviously a great concern with tax filing season coming and the fact that there's a new tax law in place and people will have a lot of questions. Uh, so in the rest of the week, Oh, the Democrats in the House will pass uh, the remaining tax uh, appropriation bills uh, to fund the government and reopen uh, the remaining sections closed by the president. As I've been following this in recent weeks, I have just been wondering, where do we go from here? As it appears, the president has totally backed himself into a corner over this. But how do you think this shutdown ends uh, outside of Democratic efforts? I think it has to be an organic uh, effort. I think that the American public need to reach out, particularly to the senators, Republican senators, to support this legislation. This is an identical bill that we're passing this week to one that passed overwhelmingly with bipartisan support with the Senate just last month. Passed the same bill. Put the pressure on the President of the United States. Uh, on Christmas, the President tweeted, I'm all alone. He is for a reason. He is, uh, as they suggested, King Lear shouting at the winds, right? The Democrats and Republicans had a bipartisan, bicameral idea to pass the, these bills and continue to operate the federal government. It is wholly inappropriate to hold paychecks hostage and the health and safety of the American public because the president feels like he didn't get his way. So you say that the president is all alone. We've reported that some federal workers are calling out sick and organizing protests. Do you support that? Well, I completely understand what they're doing. Uh, I ask for their indulgence because I remind them the work they do is so critical. All I can do is apologize for the situation they're in. We're supporting legislation to make sure that furloughed employees get paid when this is over. Uh, I believe that we need to do everything in our power to get the government operating again. Unless we get support from senators on the Republican side, it's going to be very difficult. Because as you suggest, the president has painted himself in a corner, and I don't see a way for him 
to, to get his way out of this thing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the only thing I suppose that could happen is the House and Senate pass legislation opening the government, and the president lets it sit there, and it becomes law even if he doesn't sign it. Uh, that's an unacceptable solution. Uh, looking at it to answer your question, I'm not sure there's another way out. Do you support if federal workers went on strike? I'm sorry, what was that? Would you support if federal workers went on strike? I would understand their situation, how frustrated they are, but I think that we have to appreciate how critical their work is. Uh, and I would, I would ask them to stay at their post. Uh, I get it, my job is to get them uh, open as soon as possible. I'm managing a bill toward that very end, but we appreciate the extraordinary dangers at play here. We're talking about uh, safety inspectors. We're talking about TSA workers. We're talking about FBI agents. Uh, I, I am sorry for the situation they're in, but I, I would hope that they would stay at their post to keep America safe. And uh, I apologize that the president has put them in this situation. Well, switching gears a little bit to talk about the Russia investigation, uh, where is the House Intel Committee now, and when exactly will the committee be sending its interview transcripts to Mueller and to the public? There are some transcripts that are now being reviewed by the intelligence community, and those should be available fairly soon. Uh, as soon as the intelligence committee is constituted, which I would imagine would be in a couple weeks, it's my understanding that the chairman, Mr. Schiff, uh, wants to approve sending all the transcripts immediately to the special counsel, and that the rest of them, the balance of them, be made available once they've been reviewed by the intelligence community. Uh, it's the first step in moving forward and reopening the investigation. I think it'd be a real eye-opener to the American public to see what we've learned so far, to see the involvement uh, on the Democrats on the committee, and the sheer volume of evidence that my Republican colleagues tanked the investigations and then shut it down. So this morning, there's, it's been reported that Rod Rosenstein will resign after the new attorney general is confirmed. Does that news concern you? Uh, absolutely. Uh, there's an ongoing concern that the, the president and his uh, attempts to influence the Justice Department will impair or shut down the investigation. Uh, I think it's incumbent on Congress as their first task uh, in the Mueller investigation is to protect it going forward and then to reopen the House investigation, uh, have the power to subpoena documents, communications, and people and bring them back so the American public know exactly what took place, how to prevent it in the future. Congressman, before you go, we got one more question for you. In recent days, there have been a range of sexist attacks on freshman, con freshman Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib. So what role do you think Democratic men in the House have in fighting sexism directed against your colleagues? Yeah, I think we need to stand together, united. Uh, understanding an attack on anyone for any reason is attack on all of them. I'm paraphrasing John Lewis there, but I think he's a good example for that. Uh, when we were talking about repealing don't ask, don't tell, John Lewis made that point. I think we take Mr. Lewis's lifetime of accomplishments 
as men and recognize that an attack on anyone based on gender, based on race, based on age is an attack on everyone. We need to stand united behind all of our colleagues against this kind of hatred. You're right, following the morals of John Lewis is usually a good way to go. So thank you so much for joining us, Congressman. Thank you so much, anytime. Thank you. And up next, I sit down with Lana Condor and Benjamin Wadsworth of Deadly Class. Very exciting. Stay tuned. This is The Sit Down and I'm here with Lana Condor, star of To All The Boys I've Loved Before and the upcoming Deadly Class. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're thrilled that you're here. <laughs> so last time you were here in August was obviously to talk about To All The Boys We've Loved Before. Mm -hmm. Since then, you've had a busy time. You went to the Golden Globes on the weekend. <gasps> I did. Well, I didn't go to the actual awards. I just went to the after party. Oh, I mean that. that but still... it was amazing. What was the best thing? That, what was the coolest thing you saw? Jim Carrey was five feet away from me, walking out of the party as I was going in. I just, I was just like, ah. <sighs> but you know, maybe next time. That was the coolest thing for sure. That's very cool. <laughs> How else has your life changed in the last few months? Um, you know, I've been I've been working a lot um, on Deadly Class, so mm -hmm. I've been really focused in on Deadly Class, and we've the whole cast has been working so hard, and we really think that the show is going to be amazing. So, in that in that sense, my life hasn't changed that much because I'm just fully dedicated to Deadly Class. But um, I was actually at uh, the airport the other day, and I was getting like I got randomly selected to do like a like a like one of those pat downs. Yes. And as this lady was. <laughs> As she was patting you down, like as she was in like the crotch region, she looks up and she goes, hey, by the way, I'm a big fan. <laughs> so in that sense, that's like the change. That's the, and I'm like, you could have picked the elbow. Like you could have picked the elbow to say that, but yeah, that's like the change. But other than that, I'm not just sure working. That's a good change. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, but other than that, it's just working on Deadly Class and, you know. Well, so stuff. though To All the Boys You've Loved Before sequel is happening, mm -hmm. and Noah Centineo said, he told us that he wants Peter Kaminsky's dad to be played by Mark Ruffalo. If you yeah. got to... Oh. oh my God, I would die. I would have a heart attack. I would die. But I also was like, I got into this Twitter thing with The Rock, who I'm in love with, which would be kind of cool too. Well, I wanted to ask who your love interest you would want to cast as your love interest. Are you saying The Rock is who you would cast as your love interest? If, if you could. Um, I mean, I would cast him as a dad, <laughs> probably, but I don't know. I don't know who the new love interest is going to be, so we will see. Who would you like it to be? This is your time to dream big. Oh, man. Just anyone with a good heart. Anyone with a good heart. I don't really, you know, doesn't matter about names or anything like that. Just someone who's a good person. Like Noah. If he could play two characters. <laughs> well, can you confirm whether or not it's going to be, that the love interest is going to be John Ambrose from the books? I don't think I can confirm that. I haven't actually gotten a script. Oh, okay. So I don't really know anything. Yeah, I've just read the book. Yeah. So you mentioned that Noah's great and lovely and you guys obviously are good friends. Have you had a chance to hang out recently? Not recently. He called me the other day because we were, you know, talking about the sequel. But we haven't been able to hang out recently. Life is like I was just in Africa. Wow. God knows where he is. I think he's on top of a mountain somewhere. So it's kind of hard for schedules. Well, so you are starring in this new SFW. Sorry, SF Sci-Fi. I was trying to like spell it out. It's hard. I know. No, there you go. <laughs> Sorry, Series Deadly Class. Mm -hmm. And we actually have someone else to come join us now. Yes. Are you able to introduce them? Yes. 
This guy is going to be your new, new obsession. He's so incredibly talented, and he's truly a good person. He has a great, great heart, and I'm so excited for everyone to meet him. Welcome, Benjamin Wadsworth. <laughs> was that? That wow. was the. Then you tripped. And he tripped. Spilled a little coffee. Relatable. He's right. so relatable. There you go. Shit. <laughs> Thank you for coming and joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Did you like my intro? Yes, yes. I also like the elbow bit. That's memed already. I can <laughs> <laughs> so in the show, you guys play two assassins um, attending the elite, you know, uh, the King's Dominion Academy. So let's take a look first. Okay. You will be eviscerated. Lynn's family has been eviscerating people for centuries. They really love it. Lynn don't flex. Got a worldwide record to maintain. The rest of the rules are simple. No disobedience, no drugs, and no sex. We find ways around the last one. Yeah, the the first episode is pretty sexy, so I'm interested to see all the ways that uh, things are gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> There's, you are in for a treat. Yeah. The show is awesome. Like I, you've seen more episodes than I have, mm -hmm. right? All the way to episode eight. Oh. Well, tell us about, so your character right. sort of starts off as this like homeless teen. Um, talk us through like, a little bit about like, how they get from homeless teen to deadly assassin. Well, Marcus uh, is on the run from the cops. Um, he's wanted for uh, the massacre of this boy's home. Um, everyone thinks he burnt it down. So uh, I think that's why Master Lin took some interest in him and mm. decided to recruit him into this uh, academy for the deadly arts. So this is your first starring role. Yes. And in the show, you know, her character sort of is a bit of a mentor. Has Lana been a mentor to you oh, on the show? Absolutely. Oh, good answer. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, she 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 helps me with like the like the energy, like like hey, keep, keep take care of myself. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Also, like not making a fool of myself, at least like all the time. No. Not all the time, you know. Well, you yeah. do share a kiss. In the pilot, we do. Are yes. there more kisses that will be shared during the show? We can only hope. <laughs> we can only <laughs> hope. It was a good kiss. It was a good kiss oh. in the pilot. We were actually both sick when we did that. Here's show. the real story. Tell him about the burritos. So, uh, wow, we love the that's not how burritos. you want to start. We love the breakfast burritos there, and um, we had to like reshoot part of the scene. So we go in, just ate breakfast burritos. It's really early. And we in the were morning. both super sick. And we we're both really sick, so we're like crying. And, <laughs> and the like, snot, uh, uh, snot's uh, coming uh, everywhere. I just remember his snot, like oh. coming into my lips as we were kissing. I was like, Ugh. it was hot. But it, and it was still just, a good so kiss. hot. <laughs> it was still a great kiss. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it tasted like breakfast burritos. Delicious. Oh, yeah. I'm a vomit. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very, it was very hot. Good, yeah, good, good you. kissing. <laughs> so the show is set in 1987, which right. is kind of nice to be in this like pre-iPhone sort of world. What do you feel about the similarities between like the political climate mm -hmm. of then and now? I mean, we just we we, we have uh, a lot of people who feel like they're misunderstood and and, and they they wanna mm -hmm. they want their voice to be heard, mm -hmm. and I feel like that's happening both now and then. I absolutely agree, yeah. So, Deadly Class is based on a comic book. Correct. And I'm gonna do a little quiz for you guys. Are you ready? Okay, yeah. Yes. So, can you name, mm -hmm. in 30 seconds, so I'm assuming someone's got a timer on, because I don't, you have to name 10 comic book characters. He looks yeah. like that's easy. That's easy? Can we do it, like, together? 
Yeah. You want to do like bap, bap, bap? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a good way. We'll oh, do a bap, bap. Yes. Okay. Go for it. Yes. Okay. Okay, okay. no, no, you ready? Comic yeah. Ready? Not from, the, not from the graphic novel. Not from Deadly no, Class. Just any comic book character. Oh, okay. Easy. Perfect. Ready, <laughs> set, go. Marcus. Billy. Billy. Saya. Maria. Jubilee. <laughs> um, Professor X. Cyclops. Master Lid. Beast. Nightcrawler. Um, uh, oh. Maria. No, I heard of that store. Master Lin. I already said that. Yeah. Um, uh, Victor. Victor. Brandy. Chico. Chico. Shabnam. I'm sure we've gotten. I think we've gotten every. Petra. Jack. You, you Lex. Lex. <laughs> you definitely got <gasps> okay, a sweet. bunch of X Men. I'm a weird cheating. A of, <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely cheating. Yeah. But we're also promoting. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Benjamin Lana, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Deadly Class premieres on Sci-Fi on January 16th. Up next, we're talking about why it's time to declare email bankruptcy. Mm. Holly Thomas tweeted, I see The Atlantic have done a piece on why leaving emails unread is good for you, and I have finally solved the mystery of why I feel so fantastic. Good for you, Holly. Joining me now to discuss this piece is Taylor Lorenz, staff writer at The Atlantic. Hey, Taylor, how's it going? How's it going? So you wrote, don't reply to your email, a case for Inbox Infinity. First of all, I need to know, is Inbox Infinity something that you coined? And what is the difference between Inbox Infinity and an Inbox Zero? Okay, well, so my editor coined it, potentially. I don't know if um, he made it up or not. Uh, yeah, so we need to give, well, we can give him credit, whatever. Credit. Um, <laughs> But so inbox infinity is basically the opposite of inbox zero. So inbox zero is all about like eliminating, you know, all your, you know, and by the way, people will kind of like think of it very differently depending on who you ask. But it's basically about like managing your inbox, like getting everything done, like keeping your inbox in a place where, you know, you're constantly on top of everything. And I don't know, you don't have a lot of unreads. And um, for more and more people, including myself, that's just not feasible in the modern email climate. So why do you think that that became, the, I guess, the gold standard for email? You mentioned that it was coined in 2007. Is it, is it just people trying to make us feel bad about how many unread emails we had? Where did it come from? Well, so think about 2007, right? Like life in 2007, like <laughs> was, was <different>. another world. <laughs> like we didn't get the kind of like you know email that like the, I think the iPhone just came out in 2007. I guess some people had Blackberries, but most people weren't sending all of these after hours 24/7 emails. So the amount of emails that we've um, that you know are sent and received around the world is climbing every single year. It's going to be over 333 billion a day, I think, um, in 2033 or 2021. So it's just it's not manageable. Um, I can't even remember your original question, but I guess I'm so overwhelmed thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We were saying that like it's really not feasible to have inbox zero. Yeah. So have you ever achieved inbox zero? No, no. It's like it's a fool's errand, and I, you know, it's funny. Like I think the reason people gravitate towards inbox zero is they it makes you feel accomplished. It makes you feel like you're addressing these tasks. But I think um, you know, in 2019, you should be kind of or just going forward. It's better to set your own goals, set your own time. If you're chasing every single request that you get via email, it's really hard. By the way, I just want to be clear, um, because I saw some people tweeting at me, I'm advocating this mostly for your personal inbox. So I know it's not going to work with everyone's job. You know, I still have to answer uh, my editor if he emails. But, um, but, but for your personal inbox, at least, like, don't let yourself get so overwhelmed. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't advocate for you just ignoring all of the emails in your work inbox. No matter how much I would love to, I, I actually don't respond to a lot of. I was going to say work. more works and and more work environments are adopting these like internal chat systems to cut down on email. So email's just gotten to be this completely out of control thing. Um, and yeah, we need to tame it in or just set some kind of new, I don't know, social standard around it. So for inbox infinity. Now that you are trying this, do you feel more free? Tell us about how in 2019 your inbox life has transformed. Yeah. I give feel... us give us this pitch. <laughs> give us a sales pitch. Okay, well, I feel like free as bird. I don't stress <laughs> out. I I put I mean a, a key thing too is transparency. So I put I kind of copied Ryan Hoover, uh, who is a, a VC or angel investor, start startup person, and um, he has this sort of like perma auto responder, directing people to talk to people as his team. I don't have a team. Uh, but I just have this like permanent autoresponder on now that's like, FYI, I'm not spending time in my inbox. If you need to get in touch with me, here's some other ways. And this is on your personal email. Yes, on my personal email. Um, and it really works. I mean, I feel like people either just kind of are like, well, I don't want to go through that extra effort and kind of like self-sort them out themselves out. Or people maybe reach out to me a different way or like call me or something. I know people hate phone calls. I love phone calls. But um, And is this people that you actually know in real life emailing you? So or? people, here's the thing that I discovered about email and why I chose to kind of like Email was just like the bottom of the barrel. Like email mm -hmm. is like people that I'm not really friends with. Any at, like to be honest, like mo my good friends like text me, call me, DM me. Like email is this like weird middle ground where we're not probably not friends. It's usually formal. They're usually asking something of me that I usually can't give. And so yeah, like I I'm just so much happier. I put that autoresponder on and I just don't check it. And sometimes I, you know, I've been going in like once in a while and just making sure I'm not missing anything major. I have to say I love this one newsletter. Um, so I do open my inbox every day to read that when it comes around five o'clock. What newsletter? Uh, Casey Newton, subscribe. Uh, Casey Newton at The Verge has an incredible newsletter called The Interface. Uh, I think that's called The Interface. Yeah, it's interface. Anyway, it's great. It's actually all about technology and things like this. So um, I, I do log on to email every day to read that, but I don't like look at the rest of my inbox. Well, I think we might have to check out that newsletter, considering that it's making you actually the open only your thing, inbox. It's the only reason I check it. But I think, like, I mean, I almost wish I had a separate inbox for newsletters because newsletters are like the one sort of valuable part of email. But my main inbox, I, those go in the promotions. And the main inbox, like, yeah. good luck. Yeah. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about this very important <laughs> issue. Up next, Alice is going to talk to activist and lawyer George M. Johnson about the man that was fed de found dead in a political donor's home. Very interesting. We'll talk to him. Here's a tweet from Blavity. What is going on here? A second gay black man has died at the home of wealthy Democratic donor Ed Buck. There's a lot to unpack here, but here are a few things that we know. Ed Buck was never charged in the first death, and officials have said he is not considered a suspect now, leading to protests outside Buck's home. Buck's lawyer said he did not cause the death and claims the man arrived at Buck's home under the influence. Joining me now to discuss this story is journalist and activist George M. Johnson. Good morning. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Like I said, there is a lot to get into with this particular story. Uh, so walk us back a little bit. Who is Ed Buck and who were the men who were found dead at his home? So Ed Buck is a major donor to the uh, Democratic Party. Uh, he's donated to like Hillary Clinton, Ted Lieu, um, and a slew of others. Um, very wealthy, affluent um, white man. 
Uh, and basically what happened the first time around, um, a young man by the name of Gimmel Moore was found in his home, uh, dead of a drug overdose. Uh, what was suspected was sexual exploitation, um, where Gimmel was a vulnerable um, black queer male and um, painted in the media, unfortunately, as like a prostitute, which is so far from the truth. Um, so now we have a second death, uh, an older black gay man by the name of Timothy Dean. And what's happening is they're spinning this story like these men are just um, dying in his home when it's really more of a case of um, privilege and power, uh, sexual exploitation of the black body, and um, yeah, more of what we've seen before um, in terms of when uh, white wealth uh, kind of shows up. Yeah, and one of the things that you tweeted is that uh, Buck has been shielded by his whiteness and proximity to the Democratic Party as a donor. Uh, talk to me a little bit more uh, about that notion and why you think that is. I mean, it's been silent. Uh, no one's speaking about it. All of these people who he's contributed to. Now, after the second death, some are starting to say um, they're going to return their money. Um, Hillary Clinton's campaign, again, has still not responded. Uh, I believe the first death happened in 2017, prior to the midterm election, so no one really wanted to touch the subject. Uh, now that we're after the midterms, I'm pretty sure we'll start to see a lot more people be more vocal uh, about this particular um, can't campaign contributor because now they have nothing to lose. Uh, but when we're losing black lives, no one wanted to say anything. Now, all of a sudden, you have people who, um, even within the city council who had accepted money from him, now are showing up at the rallies. And th they were questioned, rightfully so, like, okay, well, where were you all the first time now that this has happened again? One of the key things you mentioned here is that the uh, the alleged victims uh, or the men who died are black queer men. Is that one of the reasons why you think this hasn't gained uh, more mainstream press attention? Absolutely. Um, the first go round, the main place that covered it was uh, like the WeHo Times, which is, you know, West Hollywood's small local newspaper. Um, and a, a black woman by the name of Jasmine, forgive me if I spell her, say her name wrong, Jasmine uh, Kanick, who has been extensively covering this for about a year and a half. Uh, people like myself and other black journalists did the best we could to take up the story and keep it up. Uh, but unfortunately, the L.A. coroner's office uh, decided, you know, to rule it, not rule it a homicide initially. Uh, it was social media and Twitter that the pressure from that was what got uh, the sheriff's office to even investigate it the first time, uh, still refusing to indict him. And so, yeah, again, when the victims are black, we typically see this all the time. When the victims are black, even when you think about R. Kelly, who's been able to get away with it for so many years and now is coming to his reckoning, it takes so much longer for us to get any type of coverage. Yeah, uh, and I mean, one of the things you also mentioned in addition to that is that one of the uh, men was being painted as potentially a sex worker or a prostitute, yes. um, which there is nothing wrong with being a sex Absolutely worker, not. but uh, you know, really it seems that this idea of respectability um, is being used to smear this person's uh, reputation or uh, that their life should matter. Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, it's a, another case of victim blaming, and we see it often where the victim is painted as painted much worse than the abuser. Uh, and it's just a way to spin the story from what is actually happening. Um, 
in this case, again, a person who has wealth, a person who has privilege, a person who has power, uh, and using that to take advantage of vulnerable young black queer people, or, and again, with Timothy being older, but just black queer people in general. Mm. One of the things you mentioned is this moment we're in with R. Kelly and uh, the sense that some of these stories are starting to break through in a bigger way. Um, do you think that that's happening with uh, this particular story in Ed Buck? What do you think it will it take for uh, really there to be a tipping point and for the story to get the kind of diligence and focus that it should? My hope is that um, white major media starts to pick up the story. Uh, black media has extensively covered this and black journalists have stayed on top of this. Uh, we are going to need support from uh, more major um, prominent outlets to continue this. Um, I also want to point out like this is one of those times where white queer allies, so to speak, can kind of step up. Like where Ellen kind of overstepped her bound with Kevin Hart. This would be a nice time That's for her. That's a whole other segment. But that, that would be a nice, but honestly, this would be a nice time for her to overstep her yeah. bound because this is someone within the white queer community who is harming black queer people. This is the time for you to now step up and say something and do something. Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining and thank you for having me. The investigation is ongoing, but you can read the latest from BuzzFeed News here and we'll be tweeting out the link now. Up next, Amber and I read your tweets. Welcome back. What a show. Yes, it's nearly over. It's been thrilling having you back. Thank you. I made it to the end. I figured out how to read a prompter. Thank you for taking this journey with me. You can still read. That's I can great. still read. It's great. I've learned that. But uh, but listen, let's get into some of these tweets. We asked what you would be willing to post on social media in exchange for cold, hard cash. And Princess Slaya says, anything that wasn't racist or sexist, to be really honest, run me my money. Get your money, post all of those comments. But also great to have like some limits. Also you know, some limits, Be yes. like, let's just clarify. Nothing completely terrible and against my morals and ethics. But apart from that, eh, why not? I completely agree. <laughs> and our own Stephanie McNeil added, almost anything, I'm cheap as fuck. <laughs> I hear you on that, Stephanie. Stephanie, yeah. let us know if you start getting those yeah. Venmos for $20. unusual requests and comments, or I guess maybe Fe we'll know if we start getting some unusual comments from you. I'm gonna request $20 for feet pics, <laughs> Stephanie. One of our producers, Rebecca, tweeted, okay, I'm already obsessed with Deadly Class. I'd Venmo Lana Condor to kick my ass. And there you have it. And she would do it. Um, you know she it. would do it. She would. I feel like uh, it would be cool to have someone like Lana Condor. She would be like funny do such a and thing. beat you up. <laughs> yeah. Um, what it would be the going rate for that kind of thing, though? I would expect thousands. Thousands? Yeah. I was going to say 50 bucks, but oh, I think wow. that you're probably right. I mean, she deserves. She does. <laughs> you know, she does. Pay, she pay does. her for money. Well, like, let's just say thank you to our guests, Ben Smith, David Mack, Representative Mike Quigley, Lana Condor, Benjamin Wadsworth, Taylor Lorenz, Stephanie McNeil, and George Johnson. I will be back here tomorrow with David Mack at 10 a.m. Oh, I can't wait. Day two. Woohoo!